Okay, so uh, we this is something new. Uh, I'm we're actually passengers tonight. I'm here with my friend Karen, who's a rideshare driver from South Carolina. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're going to go to the theater tonight to see a podcast called The Dollop, and so uh, I think we're going to get there in about 20 minutes. So we've been talking a lot about driving and stuff, and so it's it's nice to be a passenger sometimes and because we're drivers we know how to make things easier for drivers like stand at a nice corner don't stand at a six-way intersection (laughs) although admittedly I did that last night to somebody which wasn't very nice I tried to be good about it and I also told Karen the the trick about like if you get a a passenger you don't want to pick up and they're in the wrong spot you just sit there and let the timer run out so you can collect your cancel fee (laughs) yeah right yeah but you're in South Carolina, it's a smaller city, so you might actually run into those passengers who are upset with you. Like here in Chicago, like you'll never see the same passenger again. Like I've only had one time when I got the same passenger in over like 3,000 rides. There have been one or two times, and by the way, I should say for the record, and this is the second time I've been on here with you, Mark, um, I only do it part-time. Mm-hmm. And I did it two years ago, almost full time for two months, and then I just picked it back up about three or four weeks ago. Okay. Um, but in South Carolina, yes, smaller city, um, there have been a couple of times where somebody has can't like canceled really fast, and I feel like maybe they saw who I was, and they may have known oh, me, and well. decided nope, because it's a small town. Yeah. And then, but it's a tourist town, but. Um, you know me. If I got yeah. had passengers who were upset with me, I'd be able to handle them. <laughs> well, here, so here's the thing that a lot of people don't know. that With some of the veteran drivers, Lyft has a lot of shenanigans. And one of the things that we think Lyft does on the that they don't tell is sometimes they will send more than one driver to the same passenger. And whoever gets there first gets the fare and the, the other driver gets canceled. I so do when think you, that yeah. happens. So yes. when you get a cancel, sometimes like... I had one time when I, I was almost to the passenger, and then as I'm pulling up, it got canceled, and she opens the door, and I'm like, why did you cancel? She's like, I didn't cancel. Oh, okay. So Lyft has this algorithm where if, if you're stuck in traffic or it thinks you're not making progress, it will switch you to an, another driver. Yes, I think that's true. Which infuriates a lot of drivers because it's like, what if it was a very high-value ride? Right. I also think it infuriates passengers because Lyft isn't explaining that they're doing that. Right. And sometimes as a passenger, I've been standing and waiting, and then all of a sudden it tells me I have a different driver. Right. And that's very annoying. Um, but, you know, so, and but sometimes in that cancel case, especially if there's more than one passenger, they'll order both, Lyft and Uber, and then whichever gets there first, they'll cancel the other one. Well, that sucks. Or whichever's cheaper. Like, I... I've been on the, the the beneficial end where, like, I arrived and I saw another driver sitting there and the passenger was... They started walking the other driver and then I was kind of like, no, I'm your driver. Right. And then they get in and then they were trying like, oh, I'm just going to cancel the other one. And it's like, sorry, dude, I, you know, wish... You're bad, I, you know, but... <laughs> I know. I, I have not seen that happen in South Carolina. Okay. I don't think our passengers are that savvy in South Carolina yet. Okay. Um, so, Mark, do you want to talk about the 
this idea that I had of interviewing you with a few questions. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Turning the tables on right. the host. Right. Uh-huh. Table, I guess there's just one. Okay. <laughs> so, you told me an interesting story the other day about getting a fare from the airport that yeah. was far away. Right. Um, that only happens once in a blue moon to us, but it's one of those moments where you have to decide, is it going to work with your schedule? Tell me how that worked out for you and whether it was worth it or not with yeah. hindsight financially. Well, I would, I would just also say the longest rides I've ever had by doing this usually come out of O'Hare and usually very late at night, oftentimes when there's like weather issues and people's flights get canceled. So I've taken a family from O'Hare to Moline, which is at the Iowa border. And that was like a 2 a.m. thing. So I didn't get back till like 6 a.m. How much did you make on that one? Well, that was a special thing. They offered me cash. And mm. so I think that was like 300 bucks. Oh, that's good. And part of it is too because you have to drive back empty. Right. So you have to account for those miles. I drove um, two guys from O'Hare to almost Grand Rapids, Michigan. Wow. Also super late at night. And that was like 180 bucks or something. And then so this kid... Uh, he was a Notre Dame student. His flight got canceled. He, was want, he didn't want to be late for class. So it was O'Hare. What a good kid. Yeah, O'Hare <laughs> to South Bend, Indiana. That was two, two hours one way. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, if I had had more time, I would have just hung out in South Bend and waited for a ride back because there's reasonable chance someone's coming back that way. Mm -hmm. But I had to pick up my son at the you know bus stop. And I, as I was driving... Here's the thing, like, you have, like, ten, about 10 seconds to decide, do I want this ride or not? Right. And so I was like, okay, I'll take the ride. But then I knew I was going to be late coming back, and, then, and I would have to drive back completely empty, and I was looking at traffic. So roughly it was about, well, I, and when I got to South Bend, you know, I had to take a break, use a bathroom, yeah. walk through the student center. <laughs> you know, so it was like, say, five hours. Um, so was it worth it? I mean, yes. Because it, you know, it was still like a hundred twenty dollar ride, but a, lo a lot of drivers, veteran drivers, will will not take that ride unless it's under a surge, like right. twice the rate. Some savvy drivers will negotiate what's called a return fee, and they'll say, "Hey, look, you know, I, you're taking me way out. I'm going to drive back empty." So some of them do that. Do you just do that verbally with the passenger after they get in your car? Uh, well, again, I don't really I'm not good at that yeah but some of the savvier drivers yeah they'll um, try to convince them to do a cash ride or something I mean and this is all not sanctioned by Uber right, or Lyft so right actually I might have to I might have to censor this episode because, <laughs> seriously you know, yeah I know well well that that whole uh, weighing the pros and cons doing the cost-benefit analysis of bending or breaking the rules occasionally depending on the passenger situation i mean mm -hmm. that's tough because you know if something's not documented in the app then well, if something happens it's all on you yeah possibly. i mean like okay we're, our our driver doesn't want to be interviewed so we're not going to ask him but uh, we're sitting in a in an xl vehicle an xl vehicle is a larger capacity vehicle usually like a, a three-row suv mm -hmm. minivan i don't have an xl i drive a regular um a RAV4. Right. Last night I was out in the suburbs and I pull up, you know, it's regular Lyft ride or Uber 
And all these people, again, there were two women in the front passenger oh yeah. and four in the back. And and so, just so your audience knows, we as drivers are allowed to say no to that. And it yeah. can be very dangerous. But, but sometimes you make an exception, depending on the situation. Well, yeah, like one time I, I did overcapacity because they were literally only going around the block. Right. But the passengers will, will try and talk to you. They're like, oh, we'll tip you well, or, you know, we're already in the car. And I'm like, you know, guys, it's not safe. Like, this is, I have to get on the highway. Yeah. And, you know, you can't give in. You'll just say, like, well, why don't you just order another Uber? Or uh-huh. why don't you can't order an XL? And so in this case, you know, two of them got out, got into another car. But it can get tense sometimes. Like, I've heard drivers, the passengers, they get pissed off. Usually it's bar closed or drunk. Yeah. And they'll slam your door mm-hmm. or give you a low rating and... You know, yeah. So, but I, I've never had two people sit up there and say, "Oh, we're already in. It's fine." Right, right. Well, now I drive a Prius C, which is the little baby version of the Prius. It's uh-huh. like a little Prius that's been shrunk by a shrink ray gun. Right. And I don't think two people could fit in my front seat, but I, I've had three passengers squish into my back seat, and then a friend like lay across the top of them. Yeah. Um, and they were drunk college kids. Yeah. I've and, had people say, oh, I'll just climb in the trunk. <laughs> you're like, no. Yeah. Um, and I, I made an exception for them because I could see that they needed to get back to their apartment. Um, they were being a little rowdy, but they didn't seem like bad kids. And I told yeah. them that in order for me to make the exception, they had to be very, very good. Right. <laughs> Which they were. But, you know, for every good yeah. story you have some sort of crazy story that's happened too so let's talk about a crazy story that just happened to you mark you also shared with me being in a certain suburb the other night and an uncomfortable situation that happened to you so basically i was up in winnetka and it, you know it's a it's a very wealthy community and i got a request and i took the wrong turn and ended up in this private golf club and I couldn't get out because it had all these weird turns and everything up there is dark. It's not well lit here like the city. And I, I was like stuck. And then all of a sudden I see these headlights behind me in the parking lot and it's a it's a cop. And I started to freak out because, you know, with all the stuff going on in the news, I'm like, oh, am I going to be in the news? Cause I was shot because I was trespassing or something. But fortunately, I was, you know, able to roll down my window and I showed the cop my, you know, he saw my stickers probably and I said I showed him like I'm trying to pick up somebody here um, and I don't know how to get out can you escort me and he's like all right just follow me so you know we drove out of there and then he pulled up and he told me that the way that the GPS was navigating me I wouldn't have been able to get there anyway because there's a it's a private road with a locked gate and you need a a special key Mm -hmm. but um yeah, I feel uncomfortable driving up in these wealthy communities because I feel like, as you know, someone of color, you're constantly being watched. You know, all these houses have cameras and alarm systems. And, you know, I think I feel more safe driving in Englewood than in some of these communities because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, the, the people feel very entitled. You said to me earlier that unlike lower income communities up in these wealthy communities you feel like you're being watched 
just because of who you are. Well, just the fact that, so I pull in this, this private country club and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, this cop shows up. Right. I didn't see him driving in. So like. They have a special alarm when a person of color crosses right, right, the town line where trip, a cop comes out. Yeah, a little trip alarm or <laughs> yeah, something. Exactly. But, you know, so I mean, <laughs> you know, and, you know, if I was Latino or black, maybe it would have a different outcome, but. Yes, you know, so maybe your listeners need to know, I am a white female, and I've had my share of strange experiences being a female driver, which has its own set of things, mm-hmm. but I also have my white privilege working for me, yeah. um, and you are a person of color, and you're Asian, mm-hmm. and that has its own set of uh, stereotypes that go with it, Yeah. but yeah, I don't even know how I would feel if I was a black male or a latino male you know right or or a muslim male well as i mentioned to you earlier that i i used to do delivery and with delivery is a whole different game because customers will give you these elaborate instructions like punch this code walk through the gangway go up to my second floor you know open this you know foyer and put the package in there and you're literally in the, invading these people's spaces. And one time I had to do a delivery and I opened the gate and there was a big sign that said something like, you know, guns, we love guns, or guns on premises. And I'm like, oh, crap, you know, because they don't know that <laughs> you're here. it was you're... a mafia house. <laughs> um, yeah, no, seriously, though, uh, yeah. when it comes to package delivery, which I haven't delved into yet. Like you haven't done Uber Eats. I have not, okay. and I don't think I will, because I have um, some health problems, and I don't think I could walk yeah. and carry packages, and I think I'd end up disappointing customers. Yeah. Um, but also, my friend that you met earlier today, Brian, was talking about how he used to do a grocery delivery service when he lived on the fifth floor of a walk-up in Boston, um, and sometimes he'd be horrible and order things like cases of water or bags <laughs> right. of potatoes. Right. And, you know, I, I just, with my physical limitations, I can't do things like that. Some people in Charleston, though, are saying they're making more money doing these delivery services than they are being yeah. rideshare drivers now. Right. But I don't, I'm like you, I don't like the risk of um, delivering some of these things into a space where somebody's giving you a code. And I'm sorry, I'm paranoid, but they could accuse you of something later that you didn't do. Right. Um, so, what other things do we want to talk about, Mr. Well, Podcaster? <laughs> you know, I see that, that we are almost to our destination, so we might want to wrap up, and we are past the, you know, generally accepted podcast episode time. Oh, but, my oh, well, God. Well, how about this? All right, so... Uh, <laughs> well, just we're going to edit out those... those no, I, I don't no, edit. Uh, but for future, just to tease our audience, like... There's a new book that's come out called Uberland, written by a researcher, and she's basically spent years riding cars like we are, interviewing drivers, understanding what the world is like. And she's come out with a book now that talks about kind of the whole gig economy and how yeah. you know it's difficult to make a living and when everything is ruled by an algorithm. I was going to say, is she the person that wrote the essay you told me about called My Boss is an Algorithm? Yes, it was in the New York Times. Yeah, I want to so... read that because I actually think that um, the gig economy, mm-hmm. ride sharing and home sharing are the beginning of 
algorithms being the bosses of all of us in many different ways. Right. Um, I actually have started doing Whole Foods shopping as an Amazon employee, and I'm not a oh. driver, but I do the shopping. Okay, at the Whole right, Foods. right, yeah, in-store shopper. But the shifts that get posted and the amounts of shifts that get posted are based on an algorithm of how much business we've done and how much they predict that we'll do the next week. Right. And so they've overhired because it's a new location. And we're all scrambling to pick up shifts, mm -hmm. and we're all in competition with each other. Right. So just even for that job, my my supervisor that giving me shifts is an algorithm. Right. Um, and I think right. I think we're we're so, well into that world. Right. So I want to talk about that book in future episodes, and also I connected via Twitter with another Uber driver who's come out with a memoir. So there's a whole genre of now rideshare driver memoirs. And I, I've read one of them, but this guy has a two-volume memoir, and he just started a podcast. So I want to listen to these, and maybe we can talk about those in a future maybe we episode. Can deconstruct them. Yes. I would like to thank our driver tonight, who shall remain nameless, but is doing a great <laughs> job getting up with us, us to our venue. Right. Yes. All right. So we will. We'll, we'll maybe record another episode after this podcast show. Maybe. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>